Well, when you get to this time of year, the end of 2023, boy, it goes by fast, doesn't it? And there's a lot of fun things that we do, and there are a lot of celebrations. And uh, we always have the feeling that we want to keep Christ in Christmas. and We want to uh, remember that He's the reason for the season. But as you do that, and we'll talk about this more in, a, in another lesson, uh, the world doesn't understand that. And they may acknowledge that a baby was born. They may acknowledge that God did something. But they have no idea really why he did that. Some people say, well, we just need to think about immigrants. And we need to think about homeless people. And we need to think about all of the human suffering that goes on. Well, agreed, we're supposed to be compassionate and involved in those kind of things. But that's not the point of the Christmas story. And they really miss it. In fact, a lot of believers do too. Because uh, we look at the things like these, this section of the genealogy, the begats, you know, that's all boring with a bunch of difficult to pronounce names. And uh, we forget about how this meant something to the Jews and it meant something to early Christians and it meant something uh, certainly to Jesus himself. This is his family. This is his history. This is his lineage. lineage. This is his ancestry DNA. And uh, we, we find in Hebrews chapter 4, like in verses 14 through 16, I'll let you look that up, that Jesus is presented as a high priest, but not just any high priest. He was different. And he's not only different because he's God representing us before God, but he's also, the Bible says, a sympathetic high priest. Now, if we go back to ancient Israel, they had a lot of high priests, but most of the, I'll go out on a limb, a lot of or most of the high priests probably didn't give a rip about the common riffraff people, the ordinary people, the working people, the lower class people. Now they would take their offerings, really glad to have them. They wanted them to attend and they would put legalistic rules and amplify those rules onto them so that they could keep them under their thumb and keep them worshiping and keep them uh, you know, doing all the rituals so that the priest had a job. Uh, but other than that, it doesn't really matter where you're from, who you are, what your name is. Uh, they, they would have no idea. Just come and do your thing, do what we tell you to do, and then sit down and shut up. You ever feel like that? Sometimes we feel like that in our own family. Sometimes we may feel like that even in the church. I hope not. And sometimes we feel like that in our own nation in our neighborhoods and in our culture and even with our government. I don't matter much to the government unless I don't pay my taxes and all of a sudden I matter and I matter a whole lot. But uh, that's kind of the way it all goes. Well, it was no different in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, here we have, though, Jesus, the God-man, who is in the heavens at the right hand of God the Father, and he not only knows you, but he's sympathetic. You know what that means? He cares about you. Can you imagine? None of the Jews ever expected when they went to the temple, probably didn't even expect to see the high priest, or if they did, it was just a passing glance. They would never expect to speak to him. They would never expect to have an audience with him. They would never expect for him to give a rip about them. And yet, in Christ, we have the one who is the king over all kings, the high priest over all other priests. And yet, what does he do? 
He invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. He loves us with an everlasting love. He knows us. He has redeemed us. And He has sent His Spirit to indwell us. What a difference this really is. And Jesus is so different because He lived among sinners during His time on earth. And even His ancestors are representative of the people that he came to save. Have you ever thought about that? I, I think about Mary, and I know the Roman Catholics try to say that Mary was born without sin. They talk about the Immaculate Conception. We assume sometimes that they're talking about Christ. They're not. They're talking about Mary, that if Jesus is born without sin, then they kind of go, well, Mary needs to be born without sin too. And they... Uh, have her ascending to heaven, you know, not, not really dying or anything like that, just ascending to heaven, and they pray to her and those type of things. Uh, why do we reject that? Well, number one, because it's not in the Bible. And number two, <clears throat> what is in the Bible about Mary? She says in the Magnificat, after she sees Elizabeth, her cousin, she said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God. Oh, two other words my Savior. Hey folks, a sinless person doesn't need a Savior. And if Mary is sinless, if she was born without sin, an immaculate conception, she wouldn't need a Savior. And yet she says, the mother of Christ says, my soul has rejoiced in God, my Savior, my deliverer, my rescuer. Mary needed to be saved just like you need to be saved. And Mary's mother and father needed to be saved. And Joseph needed to be saved. And Joseph's parents needed to be saved. And all the way back with the heroes and the villains that we find in the genealogy of Christ, what we find is these are people who needed to be saved just like every person on earth needs to be saved now. Have you ever thought about that? And they represent the kind of people that Jesus came to save. So we have uh, several um, different ancestors than he did. We have a lot of different ancestors. But if you're a Jew, I kind of got ahead of myself. If you happen to be a Jew, I guess there's a minuscule chance you might have some human ancestors in common with Christ. I don't. I'm, I don't have any Jewish blood in me. My ancestry DNA didn't point that out at all. So I wouldn't have any. But there may be somebody, maybe the guide that we had in Israel when we were there earlier this year. Uh, don't know for sure. And it's probably not true. But it could be that she had some human ancestors in common with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe she comes from that bloodline. Maybe some people we passed in the markets come from that same bloodline. I don't know. But... The thing that we do know is even if you were directly in the bloodline of Christ, now Jesus didn't have, uh, he didn't get married and have children or anything like that, but he had brothers and sisters and they had children. And maybe you come out of that line and you share a lot of these common ancestors. One thing I do know is you still need to be saved. This doesn't make you holy. This doesn't make you special. This doesn't make you any different than anyone else for all have sinned and come short of the glory 
of God. So even though we may have different ancestors than he did, but we face the same human problems. And he has compassion on us and he helps us. And we, of course, are to have compassion on other people. And understand this, Jesus understands. He knows what it's like to grieve. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to suffer physical pain. He knows what it is like to um, be tortured. You know, think about what all he went through at the hands of Pontius Pilate and think about all of the rejection that he had. Uh, his own brothers thought he was crazy and they did not become believers until after his uh, death and resurrection. So he understands us. He's lived here. He's been tempted, tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. That last part is so important, without sin. He knows how to handle it. And so when you go to the Lord and say, I've got a broken heart, I'm lonely, I've failed, nobody uh, really wants anything to do with me, he understands that and he's sympathetic to all of that and he's able to render aid to you because of that because he understands he comes from a bloodline and he has ancestors and family members and a society that he lived in uh, just like us. So let's read Matthew 1 verse 6. What's in the genealogy? This is part 2. The genealogy of Christ. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Oh, just had to bring that up, didn't you, Matthew? Well, there's a reason for that, right? Verse 7, Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah, maybe, however you say that, begot Asa, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah, and Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, and Manasseh begot Amnon, and Ammon begot Josiah, and Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. Back in Daniel's day, right? Verse 12, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiad, and Abiad begot um, Elkiah, and Elkiah begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad. And Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, oh, finally, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And so you see this affirmation of the virgin birth, because even though it traces the bloodline down through Joseph, then it calls him the husband of Mary, and she's the one who gave birth. So Jesus does have a human DNA, and he did have human blood, but it came through Mary, not through Joseph. And that's going to be very significant as we look through this. Now, again, we're not going to talk about every name, and you're going to say praise God for that. 
but we are going to talk about a few. We're going to point some of these things out. And the first point that we have is entitled Jesus and Shame. You know, we live in a society that we don't ever want to be ashamed of anything. In fact, we don't think we should be ashamed of anything. But I'm going to say there are some things we should be ashamed of. There are some things we should suffer shame over because that leads us to conviction and to repentance. But we don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to be told we're bad. We're not, we don't want to be told that we're insufficient. We don't want to be told that we are deficient, maybe is a better word. Uh, just leave me alone, live and let live. I'll be you, me and you be you and, and we'll all just be great. I'm okay, you're okay was the title of a book back in the 70s. But yet the problem is we're not, are we? And we still carry guilt and we have sin and we have embarrassment. And there are things that certain people will bring up and we're like, what did you bring that up for? Don't say anything about that. Don't tell them about that. Our faces burn. We turn red. <coughs> and we want to run. We want to hide. And we have things that we don't want anyone to know. That is a normal human condition and does Jesus understand that well how could the son of God ever understand that how could someone who lived without sin ever understand that we look at his genealogy verse 6 and 7 David the king begot Solomon yes royalty blow the trumpets man isn't that great by her who had been the wife of Uriah the murderer, the adulterer, the guy that tried to cover up his sin. This is an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Man, it's great to find out that David the king, cool. David the murderer, David the adulterer, David the guy that anytime this was brought up, you know that his face just burned, his stomach churned. How many more rhymes could I think of? And... Um, all of this is happening because God wants us to know that in the bloodline of Jesus, there was shame. This is a terrible, terrible, horrible thing that the Lord brings up here. And uh, then it says that Solomon brought forth Rehoboam. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, think about this. Look at our bullet points under point number one. David was an undisputed celebrity even after all of these years. He died after all nearly a thousand years before Jesus was born. I mean, man, that's a long time ago. Two thousand uh, years since Christ was born for us. So that means David, this is a guy who reigned about, you know, somewhere, give or take, around three thousand years ago. And we're still talking about him? And he's still a hero in Israel? Man, that's, that's kind of amazing. We find archaeological, archaeological things about David. There's one thing that they say is David's tomb. Don't know, but uh, that's what tradition says. They still talk about David after all of these years. And here it is in our Bible, preserved for us. But the sin of David and the shame of it is included in the human genealogy of Christ because Jesus came to redeem sinners from the shame of their sin. You think he understands sin? I guarantee you that he does. And then we find that David had Solomon, who was born from the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. I mean, what a way to put it. 
But Solomon, well, he was okay, wasn't he? Well, we think about Solomon. You remember the wisest man that ever lived wrote the book of Proverbs, but he sure didn't live it, did he? Married foreign wives and started idol worship there. I mean, shameful things that are going on in here, right? And then Solomon, even though his sin isn't brought up in the genealogy, but the next name brings up all kinds of things for any Israeli. Well, for any Bible student, if you know your Bible, that name, you know, jumps out at you too. Who was Rehoboam? The son of Solomon. Yeah, well, tell me what I don't know. Well, Rehoboam is the guy that whenever Solomon died and Rehoboam takes over the throne, he goes to his father, Solomon's advisors, and he says, uh, what advice do you have for me? And they basically said, look, your father was a great king and he was always building things and doing things. His tax burden on the people was great. If you will cut their taxes and alleviate the burdens, They'll love you forever and they'll follow you wherever you want to go. They'll be your people. Well, Rehoboam was not smart enough to listen to the old men. Very few people are. And so he goes and he talks to his peers. Gets on his Instagram or Facebook or something like that or Snapchat. <laughs> of course he didn't, but same, same idea. He was more interested in what his peers had to say. And his peers said, oh, you better not because if you let up on them then they won't respect you and they won't serve you. It was really bad advice. And uh, so Rehoboam comes up and he says, I'm not going to cut your taxes. In fact, I am actually going to increase your taxes. And if you think my father was tough on you, my little finger will be thicker than his waist. In other words, whatever I do is going to be bigger and uh, more than that. Well, this caused trouble. And it ended up that there was a civil war and Rehoboam is the one who split the kingdom into Israel and Judah and they had a divided kingdom until they were carried off into exile. It was a shameful, terrible time for them to live and that is someone who is a, an ancestor pardon me, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we all have those things in our family tree that, like I said before, if you shake it hard enough, you're going to find some nuts in there. And Jesus was no exception. But all of this was for a purpose. He came to save sinners from the shame of their sin. Now, secondly, I want you to look at Jesus and the heroic. Because we find some people in here that are listed as the good guys. They're listed as the good kings. They're listed as the ones who followed in the footsteps of King David when he was doing right. And David always was and will be the standard for a good king in Israel. Even when it talks about Jesus, he shall reign on the throne of whom? His father David. That was always the gold standard in spite of uh, what he did with Bathsheba. David's always a standard for a good king. But there are other kings mentioned in here too. What about Asa? Who was he? He's mentioned in 1 Kings 15, 11 through 14. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father, meaning his ancestor, not direct father, as his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes 
out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers, his ancestors, had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abomination, an abominable image for Asherah. Asherah was a false god, a sexual god. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Why didn't he cut down the high places? I don't know. Maybe he ran out of time. Maybe he ran out of personnel. Maybe he didn't live long enough to get to that. You have to do things one step at a time. But the testimony of God is he followed in the footsteps of his father David and his heart was wholly committed unto the Lord all of his days. That's rare. As you read through the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, that's rare, especially in the northern kingdom. Now, this is in the southern kingdom. It was a little more common. There were more good guys uh, than in the northern kingdom, but not all of them. How about Jehoshaphat? A good guy. First Kings 22, 43 and 44 says, He walked in the way of his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Well, then again, we have, Yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel, with that northern kingdom. That was unusual. Usually they were kind of at war or at odds, but this guy was a peacemaker. So he's listed as one of the good guys in the line of Jesus. What about Zerubbabel? Well, we've heard of him. Now, a little history. In the 6th century B.C., when the exiled Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem, Zerubbabel was appointed by the Persian government as the governor of Judea. Judah, that southern kingdom that had been carried off into captivity. But we read in here that Zerubbabel was also a descendant of King David. Well, why wasn't he king? Are you kidding? The Persians, they're Iranian, by the way, are not going to allow someone else to be the king. There was one king, the king of Persia, Zerubbabel. They used his natural leadership and they used his lineage that would give him credibility among the people and said, no, no kingship for you, governor. Governor, you work for us, in other words. Well, what did he do? In Zechariah chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. What house? Talking about the rebuilding of the temple. This is a guy who did it. An ancestor of Christ who was denied kingship because they were occupied and ruled by a foreign power and would be for a long time, even to the time of Christ, just a different power. And what does he do in the meantime? He doesn't pout. He doesn't fall into sin. He starts working to rebuild the temple. And it goes on to say, His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So that second temple was built by Zerubbabel, an ancestor of Christ. 
Jesus worshipped in that temple. Herod the Great remodeled it and expanded it, but it was an expansion of the second temple, the rebuilt temple by Zerubbabel. As Jesus walked into that temple, he not only could say, hey, this is all about me. I'm the God of this temple that is supposed to be worshipped here. I am pictured in all of the sacrifices and my righteousness is expressed in all of the laws that are here. He also could have said, and by the way, it was one of my ancestors that built this. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so think about this. Heroism and righteousness are seen and they are appreciated by fellow human beings. However, we got a problem. God looks at the heart and the motive and the reason for all of the actions. And Jesus came to save the righteous, the moral, and the good. And why did he do that? Because Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12 says this about Zerubbabel. It says this about Jehoshaphat. It says this about Asa. It says this about you. Just as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even the people in the genealogy of Christ. Get it? So Jesus came to save the heroes. Jesus came to save the good guys because no one is good but God. Number three, what do we learn from this? We see Jesus and the unrighteous. And we think about the people that are in there that are just jerks and evil and selfish and destructive. Well, we find Rehoboam, the guy who split the kingdom and, uh, by his foolishness. And you can read about that since we've already talked about it in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 17 through 19. Rehoboam was not a smart guy and he did a lot of destructive, shameful things to uh, Israel. What about uh, uh, these names? It's always difficult to know whether to pronounce them in a Hebrew way or an English way, but we would say Abijah, probably Abi Yah, son of God, literally. In 1 Kings 15, 3, it says about Abijah, and he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father, or his ancestor. So he's not a good guy. He doesn't walk in the ways of the Lord, but he walks according to the sin and the idolatry of his predecessor, his father. Well, what about Joram? In 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, it says about him, And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. They were bad. Almost all of their kings were wicked kings. He walked, this guy in Judah, the southern kingdom, where the temple is, walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. Oh man, he's related to Ahab, that king of the northern kingdom of Israel that gave Elijah so much trouble, right? Well, it goes on to say, here's his obituary, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah, 
for the sake of David his servant, since, the, since he promised to give a lamp to him. In other words, David's lamp, his light, was not going to be put out, and to his sons forever, it says. So we find that even the unrighteous don't ever overcome the standard of David and the good that he had done. And even though they tried to destroy and they tried to take the nation away from God, they even put temple uh, idols in the temple at one point, just terrible things like that. And we remember that some sins are more evident than others, and some people live, of course, in open defiance toward God and His law. And the Bible says Jesus came to save not just the heroic, they need it, but also the obvious sinners, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, the chief. I'm the, I'm the top dog in terms of sinners, Paul said. But that's good news because that's who Jesus came to save. Now, number four, we find a guy in here named Jeconiah. Have you heard of him? Sometimes he's called Coniah. But Jeconiah is found in Jeremiah chapter 22, 28 through 30. Now, listen carefully. Don't zone out. In this man, Coniah, Jeconiah, a despised broken pot, How'd you like to have it said, have that said about you? A vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? They were taken captive to Babylon. And hear the word of the Lord. And that's got an exclamation point. Better pay attention. Thus says the Lord, write this down, write this man down as childless, no heirs a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed him in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. What? He's in the bloodline. That cut off any descendant of David after Jeconiah from sitting on the throne if you go humanly. So what's the answer? Wouldn't that keep Jesus from sitting on the throne? Actually, yeah, it would. Because Jeconiah, or Coniah, was cursed by God and his bloodline. And no descendant of his will sit on David's throne. Well, what about Jesus as a descendant of Jeconiah? And here's where you have to think a little bit. Jesus did not have the blood of Jeconiah flowing through his veins because he was virgin born. He was the legal son of Joseph, but not the blood son of Joseph. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, when you read in Luke chapter 3, the genealogy there, that is the genealogy of Mary. And she too was a descendant of David. And so legally, Dave, uh, Jesus being adopted by Joseph has the right of succession to come through there, but because no descendant of Jeconiah was going to sit on the throne, guess what? Because of the virgin birth, Jesus isn't a descendant of Jeconiah. 
and yet he still has the blood of David through Mary. What a, an amazing thing here to think that the virgin birth causes Christ to skip the curse of Jeconiah. Now, how do you do that if you're only a normal human being? How do you do that if you're not anything special? Well, it can happen if you're God because God is controlled of all of that. And the purpose of the virgin birth was to keep Jesus from receiving a sin nature through his father because the sin nature always comes through the man. For in Adam, it says, all die, not Eve. And it also allows him to jump over, to skip over the curse of Jeconiah because Jesus did not carry the blood of Jeconiah in his veins, so he skipped the curse. And that, again, reiterates that Christ is the only person ever to live to be qualified as the Messiah and to be the King of Israel. So, that is an amazing thing. He can be born the King of the Jews and have the bloodline of David through Mary where he has his actual DNA, and yet he skips the curse. Now, that just blows me away to think about all of that. Now, when you look at uh, Luke chapter 3 and see the genealogy, some people want to get kind of hung up on that. But I was taught way back in 1985, sitting in a New Testament introduction class, that... Uh, Matthew traces Joseph's genealogy and the difference between Luke's genealogy is that it is tracing Mary's genealogy. And um, I read some people that kind of disagree with that, but I don't, I don't think they're right. And uh, let me uh, just quote John MacArthur here because he agrees with me on this. It says, Luke's genealogy moves backward from Jesus to Adam. Matthew's moves forward from Abraham to Joseph. Luke's entire section from Joseph to David differs starkly from that given by Matthew. The two genealogies are easily reconciled if Luke's is seen as Mary's genealogy and Matthew's version represents Joseph's. Thus, the royal line is passed through Jesus' legal father and his physical descent from David is established by Mary's lineage. You know, most of the time when people say, oh, the Bible's just so full of contradictions, if you'll just study a little bit, use some common sense, and have the Holy Spirit to teach you, you'll find out that there is an explanation and that the two things actually, instead of contradict, they actually harmonize. And this would be a case of that. So what's in a genealogy? We see the kind of people that Jesus came to save. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we might say. But we can't say that with pride because we're one of them. We're just like those people. But here's the good news. Jesus came and his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of our sins. So like Paul, we can say, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And folks, if the chief has been saved, there's room for you and anyone else. So let's spread the gospel with confidence, with boldness, 
because we know who Christ is and we know that we're not just following a legend or a myth, but it's documented who he was and he fulfilled the prophecies written hundreds and hundreds of years before and no one else could do that except for him. Merry Christmas. That's what it's all about. Let's not get caught up in everything else. So thank you for your time. Good luck pronouncing all of those names. And may the Lord bless you. And may your faith be affirmed and Jesus be glorified as we think about these things.